Okay, so we've, we've looked at our first practice to be done in daily life. Anybody see any problem with it? Or you just all go and do that now? It's that easy, right? <laughs> it's not. What's the problem with it? What, what makes it so difficult? Uh, it's my, my power, I am kind of powerless. Losing the, the attention all the time. You know, it's, when you get a more situation coming, you, you forgot, you forgot to, to watch. Oh, you forget to do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. A big dukkha comes along, and the last thing you do is say, oh, let me look for the craving. <laughs> Instead you get caught up in the big dukkha. Sometimes the problem is, I, I even don't aware I'm a craving. <laughs> I just thought that's so naturally response and react until you Yes, but you are aware you're in the dukkha, right? Yes. Yeah. A lot of dukkha. Yeah, and that's 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 the whole thing. How how do you remember to do this practice? And this is the same problem that comes up with everything that we would call a practice to be done in your daily life. You're going to have exactly the same difficulty with. You might leave here with all these good intentions that okay, I'm going to I'm going to. Be mindful. Uh, you know that that uh, tenth precept that we took together. Yeah, to practice mindfulness in daily life. And you say, okay, I'm going to keep that practice, that precept of practice mindfulness in daily life all the time. And what happens? <coughs> What's going to happen? You forget to do it. Yeah, I'm, you know, next Saturday you'll say, oh yeah, I was going. <laughs> yes. Uh, idea that craving, you know, comes from thinking our, that we are separate mm-hmm. when the truth is that we're not. You know, that's a tough one because all the evidence is that we're separate. Yeah. You know? I mean, you look around. Yes. You know, it just seems to fly in the face of your moment by moment experience with the world. Yes, it does, and I just want to clarify too that I'm not suggesting that this is going to be your practice is that you're going to be able to go out there and see that you're going to practice seeing that your, your separate self is, is an illusion. Um, because that, that comes through a combination of all of these practices and the meditation especially. Uh, so but you, you have to take it by stages. You just, you know, leave that one until it starts to make itself apparent. And to, uh, to begin with, though, is just to become aware that, uh, that uh, to become aware of just how often you are actually experiencing dukkha of one kind or another. Then to become aware of craving and the different forms that craving takes that underlie that dukkha and how persistent and pervading that craving is. And then to become aware that indeed whenever you can let go of that craving uh, for whatever period of time that you can let go of it that the, that the 
Dukkha will go. That's really what this practice is. Right? And it's going to move you in the direction, together with your meditation and other practices, of having a more profound realization that, that, of, of, the, of the illusoriness that we were speaking of, the illusion. Okay. So, getting back to that, you know, seeing, seeing the craving mm-hmm. in Dukkha, a, a common thing uh, for me, and I'm sure for others, is that maybe you're not getting along with someone. You yeah. know, like you're disagreeing and mm-hmm. tussling about what to do next or whatever. Can you help me connect craving to that? Um. Well, yes, you're right. That's a really common situation. You're having some sort of disagreement with somebody. And uh, perhaps somebody else would would like to offer something. When you have a disagreement with someone, if you think of, just reflect on a recent disagreement or tussle, as you put it, that you had with somebody. And see if you can identify the elements of craving that are involved in that. You want something they don't want. You want something that they don't want. They want yeah. something different. That's right. They want something different. Yes. You think you are right. What? You think you are right. You think you are right. Uh, and, and that's a really, a really interesting one there. Okay. You, you don't think you're right. You are totally convinced that you're right. You, you want them to disappear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, you want them to disappear. You're convinced that you're right, and so why does it matter? It matters because uh, if uh, somebody else, you know, doesn't agree with me, I'm kind of uh, uh, a little bit threatened because you know, this is the principle I hold it for a long time, and you, now you are disagreeing me in a strong way. So I think in the psychological, you know, deep inside, that's a kind of a... Your, your self is threatened. Yeah, your self, self is kind of threatened. Yeah, I, I agree. That's, that's why it matters. Because, <clears throat> I mean, if the building's on fire and one person says that's the way out and you know that this is the way out, that's one kind of situation. And who's right and who's wrong is important for entirely different reasons. But most of the time, why does it matter who's right or who's wrong? It's the reason that it matters, the reason that we experience it the way we do, is that to be wrong threatens our self in some way, our ego, our sense of who we are. Right? Absolutely, yes. I have a question. Um, since I've been in your classes and everything, I have noticed I have become very sensitive. I'm very, I always been very aware of what's going on, you know, worldwide, especially now with politics all over the world. It's in total chaos. How do you become less sensitive to situations? Like I noticed because of what's happening right now uh, with all the politics with Latinos, because I'm, you know, from Mexico and stuff. Uh, how do you deal with? When I just talk about just a little bit about the issue with anybody, everybody's listening to the most negative things from this big leadership. Mm-hmm. Nobody's really following their hearts. You know, if you really follow your heart and you have some kindness, you will never want these families to be separated from their kids who are born in this country. <coughs> How do you, like for me, the fact that this is going on right now, it makes me sometimes 
uh, get away from people who think very opposite of me, and, and I'm very, I love people a lot, I, I like being very close to people. How do you deal with being less sensitive and less, I try not to be judgmental when the person tells me something that I don't wanna hear. I just, I just, I understand it as ignorance, you know? Um, but how do you deal with you breaking down so much and uh, being so sensitive? Like I'm very affected by it sometimes, where it makes me not wanna deal with people. How do I deal with it without being so involved emotionally? Well, that's really what we're talking about. You, you are experiencing a kind of discomfort, a kind of dukkha, right? And so can you look at this and see what that dukkha is coming from? Can you? Can you? Do you see that if somebody disagrees with you, that you want them to agree with you. And so right there, that's, that's a kind of craving. That's a desire. I desire this person to agree with me. Um, now, you know, you're, you're introducing a component of it that you say, well, I have these high ideals, uh, I have compassion, uh, I don't want to see families separated. So somebody, if, if the disagreement is that somebody's suggesting things be in a way that leads to those, that can confuse the issue. And you can say, well, what I want is noble and good, and what they want is, is harmful and causes suffering. And that can confuse you, keep you from saying that your immediate suffering is not coming from that. Your immediate suffering is because you want them to agree with you. It's not so much people agreeing with me, it's more about people being more open with their mind, like use more of their own intellect. But it's still, you're wanting them to be in a particular way. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from the other levels of what you're saying, but your immediate distress is coming from the simple fact that you want, you want to succeed in convincing them to agree with you, and as long as they uh, stubbornly refuse, you feel disturbed and, and you experience suffering. As a matter of fact, if you can get past that, you can probably make much more persuasive <laughs> arguments to them than you can while you're feeling that distress. So, so that's the positive beneficial side of it. But the thing is to understand, I mean, to do this practice is to, is to be able to see clearly what what, you know, craving is wanting something to be different than the way it is. It's basically what it is. Simplest form. You, you want something, somewhere, somehow, to be different than the way it is. And you feel unsettled, you feel upset, you feel disappointed, you feel some kind of dukkha because it's not the way that you want it to be. And what what this practice is about is getting used to be able to see that part really clearly. Because if you can't see that part, what you're always going to see is the part, well, I'm right, or my view is better, or my view is more humanitarian, or my view is more compassionate. And you're not going to be able to see, ah, my suffering is coming from my craving, my non-acceptance. And if you can accept what is, you're actually in a better, chance, better position to produce change. Yeah, I have noticed since we did a 10-day 
I don't think I heard that understood the craving, the first class I took with you, but the 10 day, it, it taught me to understand what craving was all about. Yeah. And I think it's helped me so much to be a stronger person and not have, uh, because we, that's not the way we would have been brought up to be craving all the time. And, yeah. and I have learned not to crave, and, I, it, and it does make you happier, I noticed that. Yeah. yeah. So the other thing you can be noticing in this and that uh, Jackie brought up is when you see the craving, you can see how the craving is rooted in your self-identification, in your ego identification, uh, in, or in, in one form or another, in, in your view of yourself, of, of your separateness. And you do want to see that. Not because at this point you're going to be able to overcome the view of separateness, but you're going to come to the place of conviction that craving can never be eliminated until you overcome the attachment to self. This is the important lesson that you're out to learn. When you see, ah, suffering's due to craving, ah, craving's due to self-attachment. It's, it's, it's not like that's going to help you give up self-attachment, but it's going to help you understand very clearly that it is impossible to get rid of craving until you first eliminate self-attachment. And so that will give you the motivation to do the other practices which will lead you to overcome self-attachment. But back to the original question. This is a this is a great practice here, one of the, one of the very first ones that the Buddhists taught us, you know. And I know for sure that I mean, there's some of you that are already doing this and you'll keep on doing this and you'll keep getting better. But I know for sure that a lot of you might leave here thinking, I'm gonna do this practice, but you won't. And let's talk about why that is and what you can do about it. What makes it difficult to do this practice is that you simply forget to do it, right? Every mindfulness practice is like that. Every mind, uh, all of these practices uh, are mindfulness practices. And the problem with doing mindfulness practice is you forget to be mindful. That's very simple. What can we do about this? I kind of realized that the mind has the pattern, and this pattern associated with the environment mm-hmm. you live in, yeah. and associated with your memory. For example, if I, if we are sitting in a, a retreat environment, the mind tends to be a little bit different from mm-hmm. what we, you know, right. a mindset in the ordinary, you know, environment, let's say office. So if we walk into the office and or the school. Then the similar facilitate facilities and uh, similar people, and uh, a lot of things going on. The mind is so weak, then tend to be think that way. I see this person, and this person cause suffering, harm to me before. Then I just don't feel positive energy to towards that. So I, I then I think the mind just very easily drift away, and you are not pay attention to the current. You know. Um, very subtle change in, in, the, in the inside and just um, kind of uh, just uh, drive away by the memory, so that's my right. Yes, uh, the way that I would put what you said is that in every different situation you're in, 
you have a whole lot of conditioning as to how you think and behave in that situation. And if that situation, if the conditioning that is associated with that situation has nothing to do with the mindfulness that you want to practice, you're not going to practice mindfulness at that time. You're going to, you're, you're, instead of being mindful, you're going to react in the ways that you always have. Mm-hmm. And after you leave, you might say, well, I wasn't very mindful there. But you, every time you go into a situation, well, this is a really significant thing to recognize the degree to which we are affected by our environment and the people that we associate with. Really also, um, um, the, uh, the environment that provides a lot of details to your mind, the, uh, the stim- uh, stimulation. It's not like simple as here, you know, you sit and close your eyes. Yeah. If we are busy in doing something, there are a lot of things you, you might need to process it. So it's just not easy to concentrate. It's not yeah. so very, very difficult. That's right. Well, your life <clears throat> involves a lot of situations and people that are not going to be conducive to mindfulness. Is there anything you can do about that? Well, you say no. You can't completely change it. But that doesn't mean that there's not something that you can do about it. It is, uh, if you are serious about this, then you can examine the way you spend your time, the situations you find yourself in, the kinds of people that you associate with. And you can determine if if that is what you, if that is how you really want to spend your time, if you want to be in those places doing those things. Now, a certain degree, you can't change it. If you have a job, you're going to have to go to your job. If you're a student, you're going to have to go to classes and associate with other students. Oh, I, I got you. I thought you, you want me to change the people. Change no, you, oh, you can't change the people. No. But there are there are parts of your life that that you can change. And uh, one of the things that uh, is very important for you to recognize is that, uh, and really it's a part of you not being as separate as you think you are. Because you're a different person in every situation. You go into one situation and you are a particular person with particular conditioning and ways of behaving, which might be totally non-conducive to the practice of mindful awareness. Uh, with regard to the association of, of uh, suffering and craving, or anything else for that matter. It's just a very non-aware kind of situation. And you'll become a very non-aware person in that situation. And you can walk out of there and walk into a different group. You might, you might walk into a different room and find yourself with a group of people who are also practicing the Dharma, and who are also trying to live mindfully in their daily life. You will become a different person in that group too, and you'll have more success practicing mindfulness. So we can we can make choices that will increase uh, the ease with which we can practice mindfulness. So that's one of the things that we can do. Anything else that we can do? Well, the more that you study Dharma and the more that you 
have these things in your mind, the more successful you're going to be. That is really true. That's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, also, I'll just point out to you that there is one very general similarity about every part of your practice. You sit down to meditate and at least until you've reached a certain level of skill, what's going to happen is you're going to forget what you came there to do. That might have happened to some of you this morning in the short meditation that we did, that you suddenly realized that for the last whatever number of seconds or minutes or whatever, you had totally forgotten what you were supposed to be doing. Do you see, that's exactly the same thing as being mindful in your daily life. We forget that we intend to be mindful. Um, it is the same mind, different situations, but it's exactly the same mind. And it's behaving in exactly the same way. So um, your training in meditation is going to make it easier to be mindful in daily life. If you can practice being very focused and very mindful, for 45 minutes or an hour every day, it is going to make it easier. It's not going to automatically solve the problem, but it's going to make it easier to be mindful the rest of the time. Because not because you've trained, trained your mind. And believe me, there is no self. There's no one in charge in my head or your head, either one. It's just all of these different mental processes going on. And they kind of work together in a particular way. But no one is in charge. But they can be trained. You know, they can be trained. You can train your mind so that it tends to behave more, it's more likely to behave in one way than another. And if you do that, if you practice mindfulness and sitting meditation, you're going to find it is much more natural to be mindful in your daily life. So, to practice these, this kind of mindfulness, it's enormously helpful to establish a regular meditation practice. It's going to make it even easier. It's also going to work the other way, too. The more that you practice mindfulness in your daily life, in different forms, the easier it's going to be for you to sit down and focus your mind and practice formal meditation. Anything, any other suggestions? There's some, some people here with a lot of experience of practicing mindfulness in their daily life, and I'd love it if they would offer uh, anything that, that they can about the problems they've had and the way they've resolved them, things that they found helpful. Um, I just observed the past my my own practice, and um, I feel like they have a true way. Was a teacher before. I used to teach him and say, tell the student we have to do this, 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 like obey the rule, obey the say this is the good things we, we need to follow, we need to do. And that will do us benefit. But I feel like uh, um, I don't know, it's uh, inside it's rebellion or something. Uh, I feel like uh, everything from outside so I have to do this, I have to do that. Doesn't work that way, at least for Deborah. Okay, 
uh, some I can obey for a while. Then I just feel ah, and, and different kind of excuse or different kind of reason, and 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 go to different directions. But for my practice, I I getting observe what's going on. I really feel like a, once through the practice, and I can see the the. The mind, how the function, and how the things relate to the daily life. The more I see that, the more I feel like uh, uh, that. That's how to say it. Just like more, more like you, 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 you can from inside out, you willing to. Uh, become more and more increased like uh, your observation, your awareness, you know, it's not, not because I have to, it's because that become uh, like more and more practice and become the natural and uh, not, not totally aware, but at least compare, you know, if you go back to see, you can see that progress. So I'm saying is that for, for, for my own practice, I think just continue practice Continue to do it, and you can get, you know, from the practicing and increase. That is the kind of a, like a snowball. You 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 become and, and more and more aware. I remember I see uh, the the cartoon, the drawing from I think Oh yeah. Yeah, and you say the awareness usually. Darkness is like very tiny, small, and you, you, you put it in the, in the hand, yes. you know, and, and getting grow practice and getting grow, grow, and, and now the awareness is even higher, yes. bigger yeah. than, than, than my height, that, that one. And now I getting realize that that's, that's happening, you know, and uh, definitely a lot of time I would say, oh, how come, you know, I, I forget. Uh, in the beginning, I get into, even though that, I realize uh, the awareness, you know, I'm angry, I, I have aversion, craving my <laughs> awareness. Oh, how come I, I forgot, you know, I'm I, I, I angry about myself and all things. But later on, you will say, wow, even that is a craving. Okay, then you just uh, admit, yes, I do uh, forget, then practice again, practice again. And I have a, a tendency to try to bring myself up. Mm-hmm. And, and from the practice, I can see that this is not a, not a benefit or not a merit for going itself. It's just a means, yeah, I guess, then, then start over again, start mm-hmm. over again. Mm-hmm. Okay. That is the thing. So I feel like uh, maybe encourage myself for doing that. Mm-hmm. But I need to admit, a lot of time I still frustrate. Yeah. Uh, but but if my if I can after frustration I can remind myself so okay, practice again. Just like to play piano, you know, so angry about that. So I think one of the things that you told us is that just just the idea of discipline that I should do this doesn't work so well. But when you practice mindfulness, you discover all these really interesting things. You let you it it becomes you want to do it. You can because it's, uh, yeah. Maybe I can, I, I should, if that, okay, I can want to share and I want to also hear the 
feedback. Uh, recently, I have observing, observed very uh, more deeply regarding I see that myself in the past several, I have experienced a lot of dream, a lot of dream. Mm -hmm. When I in a dream, I feel so real. Yes. I don't know it's a dream. Mm -hmm. I have I call them emotion, I call them happy, and I call them angry, all the things. Until the moment I, I, I open eye or, or I move and I say, oh, that is a dream. And then suddenly, that, when I say that is a dream, suddenly I also observe that emotion and cause suddenly disengage. You know, and I say, oh, oh, that's a dream, that's that. And because so many times, and I'm starting to wonder in the daily life, I'm so caught in, and I saw it, oh yes, da, 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 da. It's like a similar like a dream that because, you know, I'm so caught in those emotions and all the things. And just like you mentioned, um, craving, I think it's a lot of craving emotion that I want this, I want this way, but dreaming, day and night time. But I think the daytime, now I'm getting found out it's similar, maybe. Mm -hmm. I doubt, I doubt it's a similar. Mm -hmm. So. So I say, what are you? And I think in the dreaming, it's pretty much in mind because no physical move, the, the 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 action or activity, only the mind there. So I'm thinking, open eyes, even though we have a physical action, but pretty much I still wondering, it still come from this mind for the daily life. So all the all the happy or, or angry or frustration or any emotion also from here. So, so from that, and, and I just uh, <coughs> curious and try to charge Deborah is that during the daily life when I open eyes, when I found out I'm so engaged in this, and could I sit back and look, what's the difference? You know, what's the mind doing? Is the mind engaged in something just like when I think in my time? That is, I think that is, uh, I mean, I try to think and wondering, but I just feel uh, that may be helping me a little bit, you know, to, to find ourselves uh, caught in something. What do you think? Do you see the similarity between waking up from a dream and becoming mindful about what you're doing in your daily life? It's awakening. Okay. So what you're doing here is we're talking, we're talking about practicing mindfulness. You're practicing awakening, maybe in little ways. You know, it's sort of like you're still you just wake up from the dream just a little bit, but it's still waking up from the dream. It's still awakening. So, but uh, but you said some interesting things about you know how you can succeed in, in practicing this. And one is by recognizing that you're going to discover very interesting and helpful things. And it's going to make you want to discover more. And so that's how it works. Yes? I think people are motivated to find happiness. Some people, they, um, they want to make lots of money because they want to be happy. And, yeah. and if if that is the, if that's what they believe uh, would help them achieve happiness, they'll think about how to make money all the time. Mm -hmm. 
But then, you know, we think about, you know, the extent of happiness wealth can bring us, you know, it's rather short and limited. And yeah. It's uh, tenuous, subject to a lot of conditions that we cannot fully control. Even if we acquire something, doesn't mean we will be, you know, retain it for a very long time. So, so when we think about happiness, we want uh, a, a source of happiness that's going to last, you know, that's lasting. And uh, some people, they are obsessed about the parents. You know, similarly, it has a very, very limited return, and it requires a lot of resources. And, you know, Dhamma, the practice of Dhamma yields a lot of uh, happiness, a lot of tools, a lot of insights that is extraordinarily helpful for the long term. So, so once I understand that, once I can have a glimpse of that, it, uh, it becomes my interest. So naturally, I will think about it all the time. And I will, you know, try to practice diligently. I'm motivated. Yeah. You know, just similarly as somebody who's very motivated to make lots of money, you know, thinking that's going to bring them happiness. I'm motivated to practice the Dharma because I know that uh, I've seen the benefit that I can get from it already, and I know there's a lot more that, that I can achieve with this practice. Yes. The more that you taste the fruits, the more that you want to do it. The more you... <laughs> it creates a very wholesome kind of desire, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's like... Uh, yeah, it's a good example. Somebody who wants to make money, they just focus on how to make money. There's a book that was written a long time ago called Think and Grow Rich. And the whole book is this thick. It was all about, if you want to get rich, you just spend all your time thinking about what you want, or the secret. Everybody heard about the secret? You set yourself a goal, then you just keep thinking about that, visualizing that, imagining that you have what you want. So people do that for money, but you could do exactly the same thing for uh, for what we're talking about here, and it is. Actually, why does somebody want money? What is the, what is the one thing that they really want when they're pursuing money? Happiness. <laughs> yeah, it's because they believe that money is going to make them happy. If you believe that awakening is going to make you happy, this path is going to make you happy, then use the same techniques. Just you know, it's actually a small trick I use during the meditation. Sometimes uh, I because I realize that mind has a pattern, and during the meditation uh, I just talk to the mind. For example, if uh, there's a mosquito bite you, then our, you know, the biological mechanism is to, you know, keep it away, right? Yeah. Then because we want to protect our body, then and tell the mind, so for example, the pain, it's okay. You, you don't have to care about this one. Care about the mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Keep telling your mind, this is okay. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Because the mind is kind of a has the mechanism, you know, to to strive for the existence. Yeah. <laughs> Secret. <laughs> so, so here's some, you know, some very good suggestions about how to help yourself to practice mindfulness more. Yes. So I have a question, probably very contradictory for this, but this is okay. a question. We talk about craving. Yeah. And we talk about practice to recognize craving. Yes. Yeah. 
and the way we, we tell ourselves, tell the mind, tell mind, okay? Okay, we use a different way that we can keep mindful awareness and we can da 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 da. Is that part of craving too? Uh, are you asking that if wanting to achieve the results of the practice is a kind of craving? Well, it's a, it's a, it's not a kind of craving in the sense that of the unwholesome craving that we need to overcome. Um, but it is related to it because we still think that I am this self and I want this, you know, the happiness that we're after. After. Uh, we want to achieve happiness for ourselves. We want to achieve enlightenment for ourselves. So, but that's all right. That's going to be there. Don't worry about it. Until you are no longer attached to the self, that is going to be there. So it's quite all right. It's see, not a problem. It sounds like you're saying is that craving is okay unless, uh, as long as it's a, 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 it's a wholesome, they can craving. You mean that? What I'm saying is that as long as you think and feel and believe that you are a self, there's going to be craving, period. Okay? Now, uh, there's no way around that. As long as you are a self, there's going to be craving arising out of the sense of selfhood. So, most of that craving is the craving that creates your problems. But the fact that some of that craving is the craving that motivates you to practice, that's all right. That's the way you are. It's where you you are, as long as you still have this attachment to self, then you're going to regard awakening as something that's done for the sake of the self. And so it's going to fit in that category. It too is is a craving. But you're not going to be able to get rid of all of the all of your cravings just by saying that you want to. You're going to have to work on it. So make that the very last craving that you get rid of. Okay. So you you practice overcoming all of the other forms of craving, and you save the uh, the craving that is associated with the wish for enlightenment for last. When, but the wish for enlightenment is not a craving. It can be associated with a craving because for something to be craving, it implies that there is a self that's going to benefit. Uh, It's a compulsion. Cravings are a compulsion. You can't help cravings. They, They arise out of the natural workings of a mind that believes in its separate selfhood. But an enlightened being a Buddha is quite capable of entertaining goals and uh, uh, goals and wishes and working towards the attainment of goals and wishes. So, so it doesn't mean that the the, the uh, wish for enlightenment, the wish for awakening, has to be in the form of a self-dependent craving. Nor does any other goal. The Buddha lived, and this is actually a good thing to point out, that, that somebody might look at the Buddha and they say he was a really remarkable being, but if they didn't really know too much about him, they might not have realized what a profound, in what profound ways he's different 
than other people because in the course of his life he took care of his body because it was the reasonable and right thing to do. And he, he directed a large sangha, thousands and thousands of people. And he, they, had, uh, they, were, they were given many places to practice meditation. And he created rules for the sangha. Uh, he made decisions about where to travel, when, things like that. There were challenges that he had to overcome. And these are all account, recounted in the sutras. And so you have to ask yourself, okay, are those behaviors dependent upon a belief in and attachment to the self? Well, no, they're not. I guess my point is more focused not is the uh, craving to, to enlighten all of that. Enlightened, that's uh, okay. Want to be enlightened? Well, I think my question is the question that the way practice, the way the path to that enlightenment, the the, the way we use the practice, the way the, the method we use. In fact, because now I doubting myself, is am I increase the craving? through this method I, I practice and, or, 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 or encourage myself or, or force myself or, or, or uh, discipline myself is the other way of knowing me I get into uh, uh, craving way to to get into the enlightenment. You, you know what I'm talking about? And later on I need to unprogramming um, 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 this. this. So, so I, I, I don't know if exactly you say uh, Am I doing this is increase or, or I'm, I'm really doing this is really see the craving and I can reduce that even though the way I'm walking to that path. Am I clear my question? Um, I think I'm doubting that part. You're doubting that the way that you're approaching it internally, mentally is always the best. And, well, it probably isn't. Because sometimes when you're disciplining yourself and you're judging yourself, you are reinforcing your tendency for judgment. Right? And that's not good. Because every time you exercise the tendency to be judgmental, to, uh, to you know, essentially if you look and you say, well, uh, I should have done this, but I didn't, then you're blaming yourself and you're reinforcing the tendency of your mind to act in that way. So that's not necessarily always wholesome. But, uh, but you have to accept where you are, and the way to do it is not to try to... You're not trying to squash anything. Or you're trying to use the power of mindful awareness to alter the way that your mind works. So if you can see that, oh, I'm judging myself. You can see that, oh, I'm developing attachment to to practicing in a particular way. I'm being attached to behaving in a particular way. And the thing about being mindfully aware of these things is you don't say, oh, I'm being attached to practicing in a particular way. I'm bad. I shouldn't do that. Because that's exactly what you're trying to get away from doing. You're trying to say, oh, look, there's attachment again. Here's another example of attachment. 
what is the effect of this attachment? I mean, so you see that, oh, this attachment makes me feel in a particular way. It makes me act in a particular way. It makes me, it makes it easier for me to be judgmental of, of other people. So you just see that. And by seeing that, these kinds of unwholesome tendencies are, are going to be positively impacted by your mindfulness. They're going to be less likely. So, but that's a, that's a difficult one. Uh, self-judgment, self-criticism, uh, it's so easy to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to practice in this particular way and then turn it into that whole same thing, you know, that, that's, Is, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. So, so, but the wonderful thing is if you're practicing mindfulness in the rest of your life, these things will come clear. If you see yourself being judgmental of the people that you work with, you can say, where is this coming from? What is this conditioning to be judgmental? Uh, where have I been reinforcing that? And then if you can see that you've been reinforcing that with yourself, then that's a victory. I mean, that can be part of your self-identity, right? Like, I'm, yeah. I'm a person on a path that's headed towards, towards enlightenment, and I want to gain wisdom, but you kind of, that can become, reinforce your ego yes. also, right? That's the kind of danger that's that approach. Exactly. Yeah, that becomes another part of your ego. And up to a certain point, you uh, it may improve your ability to practice. You know, if my identity is somebody who meditates so much and studies so much and does all these kinds of things, then it will lead you to behave in those ways. But at some point, it becomes a problem because you've attached to that and you have to let go of it. Yeah, so it's kind of like a raft that will carry you to the other bank, but you have to really let that go also. Right, right. So that, yeah. That kind of... It, yeah, it carries you to a certain point, but you have to let go of it, yeah. Well, the story says the Buddha, you know, he, he made the resolution, say that I'm going to sit here until I you know, achieve my goal under yeah. the Bodhi tree. And he did it. I think uh, use the positive, uh, or use the mental faculty in a positive way, or use the positive mental faculty. It's a good thing to mm-hmm. to yeah. achieve in life, to to achieve our goal. You know, uh, Ajahn Chah says that there are two kinds of a, a craving. One is the craving lead more suffering, mm-hmm. and, the other, and the other one is the craving lead you to the happiness. Yeah. So I think the positive side is good. Right? We are not imagining yet, so we, we need to use our mental faculty to That's do things. Exactly. As long as you still have craving, make it be the craving for the wholesome, positive things. <laughs> but at some point, you have to let go of that craving too. But that's the last. That's the last craving. Yeah. So I don't know. What do you think? Do, do you uh, do you have some hints from this as to how to? Be more aware in your daily life, and to uh, because we're uh, hopefully going to be looking at a number of other different ways that you can practice, and they all involve the same thing. They all involve being present in the moment and being mindful, which means that you're looking inward and you're saying, 
what is going on right now? Why am I behaving this way? Why am I reacting this way? Why is he behaving this way? Why is he reacting this way? What is the true nature of the situation? And what is the, you know, how should I be behaving? That's happening to me a lot right now. Mm -hmm. And it gets to the point where I lose why I got there. You know, it's almost like, uh, it's going to go. Instead of, you know, trying to figure everything out, it becomes torturous. It's just... Yeah, but that's an important point. It's not about thinking and analyzing and figuring it out. Okay, you, you have to know, you have to have done some thinking and some learning to know what it is that you mean to be practicing. I mean, that's what we're going to do. We'll look at some of these other sutras and some of these other practices. You understand what it is that you want to be doing. But being present in the moment and doing it isn't really a process of thinking about it. Because if you think about it, you will get lost in the thinking. And it's difficult to talk about this without making it sound like it's thinking about it. you want to be aware of your own mind and your own motivations. And I would use words like, you know, okay, you need to ask yourself, uh, why am I speaking the way I am? Why am I behaving the way I am? But I don't actually, I'm not actually suggesting that you'll spend very much time verbally formulating questions and analyzing. It's more like, that's the question that you continually hold as moment to moment and you're constantly changing that you hold that question what am I doing? why am I doing this? and not to analyze it and find the answer because that's not really the answer that you want to find you want to find the the why answer that comes from you look at what you're doing with the question why am I doing this? and the answer makes itself apparent Oh, because my ego needs this gratification, or because I think that I will that behaving and speaking in this way it will produce some reward. But you don't have to think about it. It just you you already know. The knowledge is already uh, available within the mind itself. Because after all, it is your mind that is motivating you to speak and act in a particular way. So if you open your awareness up, your mind will reveal, you don't have to analyze, you don't have to take it apart and look for it. Your mind will open up and reveal the way that it's behaving and what underlies the way that it behaves. So the practice of mindfulness is, it's really about observation and not thinking and analyzing. It's being fully present. And you know what happens when you think and analyze is you step outside of the stream you know, the stream of being, uh, of, uh, things are constantly happening, changing, happening, changing. If you want to analyze something, you step outside the stream and you make it into an abstraction and you think about it, you know, and then you have to go back into the stream again. Of course, by then, you're in a totally different place. So it's the trick of learning to stay in the flow and just be aware of what the answers present themselves to you. That way you don't get lost. Because once you step out of the out of the you step out of the river and the river moves on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's actually good because then you, you 
with me what's happening, I back off of situations, you know, because it's very easy for me to get involved in things. So when you kind of, it's happening faster, so it's, to me, I like it, because I used to get too involved in situations and, you know, I, I react to things. And now it's more, I just watch things from the back, and it's, it's kind of nice to be that mature, you know. Yes, just to be able to watch. Now, sometimes it's important to back off. You know, if you, you're trying to keep a precept to uh, uh, to not engage in wrong speech. And you find you're about to say something that you know is not right speech. That's a good place. Then you can stop. Good time to step outside the stream there. <clears throat> and modify your speech. You find yourself getting ready to, you know, uh, you're, you're feeling angry and you're getting ready to speak or act out of anger. It's a good time there to step out and just back off and ask yourself, what would Buddha do? <laughs> what does the Dharma tell me about how I should behave? What, what, would, the, what would the people, that, what would the Sangha members of the Sangha do? What would the people that have been practicing this dharma for a long time? How would they be? Would they say what I was about to say? Would they do what I was about to do? And, you know, so that's the time to step out. <coughs> but it comes to, you'll notice things keep coming back to, you won't know to step out unless you have the mindful awareness. If the mindful awareness is not there, You'll hear yourself saying the words after it's too late. You won't know that you're about to say the words and have the opportunity to step back and reflect and uh, make a different choice. So it's always coming back. Daily practice is about learning to be mindfully aware. And, you know, it's just like the meditation, though. <clears throat> Close your eyes. Be mindful of the breath as it enters and leaves the body. Train yourself to do that. And then you're doing something else. Get up from the cushion, go out in the world, train yourself to be mindful. And the really important part of mindfulness is the introspective part of mindfulness. It's knowing what you are doing. So seeing what is happening. This is what is going on. And knowing why. Having the awareness that not only reveals what is happening, but why it's happening. And then having a mind that's conditioned that it, it has precepts to follow. It has, uh, it already has an idea of which way is the right way and which way is the wrong way. So that in addition to knowing what is happening and why is happening, that you know whether or not it's what, should, what you want to be happening, what you believe should be happening, whether it's the right way to be behaving. And having those three present, that constitutes the scope of the meditation that's called mindfulness. It's knowing what you're doing, why you're doing it, and whether or not it's what what you believe you should be doing, what they agree to do.
and you have to cultivate it. Now, reflection is one of those tools that's very useful. Reflection. Because, you know, you'll say, I want to be mindful. And then, like I say, next Saturday you realize, hmm, I wasn't really very mindful this last week. A common experience. You're going to experience that. What can you do about that? You have to wait a whole week until you're sitting there on Saturday afternoon and suddenly it occurs to you that, well, I intended to practice mindfulness all week. Do you have to wait for that? You do not. You do not. You can practice reflection. You know, it's the same way that uh, to learn to meditate, you have to say, okay, I'm going to meditate at this time every day. And you at least go there and you sit down. You know, that's the beginning of it, that you always go and you sit down. Well, it's the same thing with practicing mindfulness. You can use reflection, and if you say that, well, there's certain times that I'm going to reflect on just how mindful I've been. Because mindfulness works retroactively well, too. You can reflect on your behaviors. You can reflect on the degree of awareness that you have. You can, and by reflecting on these things, you'll do some of the work that you could have done by being aware in the moment. But the most important thing is you plant the seed for that mindful awareness to arise in those similar occasions that have yet to come up. So when they happen tomorrow and the next day and so forth. So reflection is a very useful and powerful tool. And it's just about time for our lunch break. I don't know. What's that? It hasn't arrived yet. Okay, why don't we have a look then? Talk about reflection. There's a sutra in here. I'll find which page it is. It was a teaching that the Buddha gave to his son, Rahula. Page seven. Page seven? Thank you. So this is this is really great teaching, and it's just so relevant to what we're talking about here. Lunch has arrived. Well, we'll take a few minutes to say that. Okay. So, what do you think, Rahula? What is a mirror for? For reflection, sir. In the same way, Rahula, bodily actions, verbal actions, and mental actions are to be done with repeated reflection. Whenever you want to do a bodily action, you should reflect on it. This bodily action I want to do, would it lead to self-affliction, to the affliction of others, or both? Would it be an unskillful bodily action with painful consequences, painful results? If on reflection you know that bodily action, uh, you know that it would lead to self-affliction, to affliction of others, or to both, it would be an unskillful bodily action with painful consequences, painful results, then any bodily action of that sort is absolutely unfit for you to do. But if on reflection you know that it would not cause affliction, it would be a skillful bodily action with pleasant consequences, pleasant results, then any bodily action of that sort is fit for you to do. So, he's talking about uh, reflecting, being mindfully aware in the moment, and you know before you're about to do something. Is this, some, is this a good and wholesome thing, or is this not a good wholesome thing? Okay. 
But then if you uh, just skip the paragraph and you go, it says, while, oh no, go to the next one. It says, while you are doing a bodily action, you can reflect in the same way. But then the third one there, having already done a bodily action, you should reflect on it. So it's all right to reflect hours later. It's all right to reflect five minutes later. It's all right to reflect while you're doing it. But it's best of all to reflect before, before the time comes to engage in it. And the same thing, of course, is true of uh, verbal actions, things that you say, that should be obvious. Mental action. This is one that takes a little bit of skill to, to get to this, because uh, you know, to watch your mind, uh, it's one thing to catch your mind before you say and say, make an angry remark or perform an angry reaction. But can you imagine being able to do the same thing so that when your mind is thinking an angry thought, that you recognize uh, whenever you want to do a mental action, you have the urge to think an angry thought, you become aware and reflect in this way. Or while you are doing a mental action, that you reflect in this way. But where you'll start is having done a mental action, you should reflect on it. If you reflect on your mental actions after they're done, then the time will come fairly quickly when you can reflect on them while the mental action is occurring or before it's occurring. So this is a good sutra. This is a good teaching. This is, this is about practicing mindful awareness of everything that you not only do and say, but also think and feel. When you find, when you find anger arising, well, or you find irritation arising, and you find impatience arising, that is the time to examine this and say, ah, this restlessness or this irritability is this, is this serving me? Is this serving other people? And what is the answer? When, when you notice yourself becoming irritable, what will you know will be the consequence of that? You won't feel very good. You'll become more irritable. It always happens, right? You allow yourself to become irritable about some little thing. And then something else happens. And then because of that, you get impatient and you make a mistake and something even bigger happens. So you can see that the consequences it leads to for yourself, they only get worse. And if you allow yourself, if you entertain the irritability that you feel that arises because of some little thing, how will that affect how you speak to the ones around you? How will it affect the way you react to what they do and say? You know, so uh, you reflect in this way, and the, and the answers are obvious. The interesting thing is, if you if you undergo this process of reflection, your irritability is going to tend to disappear, and if it doesn't disappear entirely it's going to be a whole lot easier to let go of it if you're saying, oh, this, if I let this irritability 
take hold, it's likely to spoil the whole rest of my day. Let's see what's happened. Well, this is not so bad. I'll just let go of this and I'll deal with deal with what's happened. Then it's gone. It's over and done with. And you practice. You start off practicing successfully with these easy things. Uh, and eventually you'll come to the point where something happens and it triggers a sudden burst of anger and you'll be able to do exactly the same thing. Whereas without the practice, you won't. Without the practice, you might do well with the little things, but you become overwhelmed by the big thing. But if you practice on all the little things all the time, then you'll be able to handle the big things when they come up to the big upsets, the big challenges.